Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. Guest for this program is Catherine Gazinski, Chief Executive Officer for Mansat, a company specializing in obtaining international recognition for frequency assignments at the International Telecommunications Union. Catherine, thank you for joining me on the Xterra podcast. It's my pleasure. Give me a little bit more detailed description of what it is that Mansat actually does. Sure. <clears throat> so we focus on on access to spectrum internationally. Um, about 20 years ago, our founder saw an opportunity that, that access to spectrum was a huge stumbling block to the major operators and ultimately served to be a very confusing uh, process. And so 20 years later, here we are, we're the largest commercial provider of spectrum in the world, and we offer a whole suite of support services, regulatory support services for our clients, everything from end-to-end management of, of spectrum and spectrum regulatory matters to ad hoc support uh, for specific projects. What are some of those regulatory issues that you have to get into? Sure. So at an international level, um, regulation of space activity, as, as I will describe it, falls into three major categories. So you have regulation of the spectrum, which is our, our wheelhouse. Um, regulation of the spacecraft itself, which has to do with, you know, liability for what that physical body does in space, and then uh, market access or, or landing rights, which really has to do with where and in what countries and what markets you want to provide services. And so that's where the, the first vertical spectrum uh, bleeds over into the third, and, and we play in both of those spaces. Uh, and when it comes to the regulatory considerations that, that we get into and that are really critical for the space industry, um, the reality is the RF spectrum is a finite resource. And each little sliver of spectrum is a piece of real estate that's necessary for us to operate successfully in space and peacefully in space. And so the regulatory considerations can range from just navigating the established regulatory framework, the established process to make sure you can access the spectrum you need to operate, to advocating for new allocations, or uh, within a given country, establishing a new regulatory framework, as we've done in the Isle of Man and in Iceland, uh, as well as as working with other regulators globally. How and when did Manset get started? Well, about 20 years ago now, um, our founder and and now chairman, Chris Dott, uh, was, was selling rides to space. And he heard from a lot of the operators, um, you know, they were ready to pull the trigger on buying a launch vehicle, but kept hearing this issue of, well, we don't have our spectrum yet. Well, we, we really don't have our spectrum yet. And so um, if you know Chris, you know what an entrepreneur he is, and he, he uh, is curious. And so he started digging into that a little bit. So, you know, what is this proce- process? What's this problem? What's holding everybody up? And, uh, and so he saw an opportunity to bring transparency and clarity to, again, an otherwise very confusing um, and, and in some ways ill-defined process. That's how we started and, again, have just grown from there, um, from Isle of Man to Iceland and then, of course, into our consulting services. So how crowded is the satellite frequency spectrum? That is an excellent question um, and, and a sticky one because it depends on, on which pieces of the spectrum you're looking at. So at a high level, Spectrum is a limited natural resource. 
you know, the rules of the road are established by the ITU. So, you know, we have an understanding of how to effectively use and, and share the spectrum. Um, but some of those uh, regulations, some of that framework is being stress tested by new technologies, new capabilities, and just frankly, uh, the volume of demand and the volume of new systems. Uh, so bearing in mind this is a, a, a finite natural resource, uh, when we look at the numbers, there, there are tremendously more geostationary and non-geostationary systems, including CubeSats, uh, than we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than 100 different countries, uh, member nation states of the ITU are now submitting satellite filings for, for systems to the ITU. And to, to put a finer point on it, there are more than 4,000 unique filings in the ITU databases. And, you know, while these numbers sound extremely daunting, there's, there's still some opportunities out there um, if you are prepared to really tackle this problem at the outset of a new, of a new satellite system. It's, it's sort of like solving an equation with three unknowns. You have your orbital slot or, or, or orbit, or non-geostationary filing. Mm-hmm. You have the, the frequencies you intend to operate in and then the service area. And, and what we do is we help identify the, the triplet that maximizes those constraints, um, which is no small feat because, of course, there are a number of folks that have a number of systems that are in process. Uh, there's a little bit of science, a little bit of math, and a little bit of art to that of which systems will be successful, which systems uh, are most concerning. And so, again, really maximizing the, that triplet of constraints um, is is no small feat, and that's something we specialize in. What frequencies do you normally operate in? Is there a certain kind of spectrum that you have to deal with? Sure. So um, we we work across a, a range of frequencies uh, depending on the system. Uh, you know, the easy picks for geostationary systems versus non-geostationary systems vary. And as we're seeing more interest in in uh, commercial moon and deep space missions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I expect our mix of frequencies will change. Um, we're certainly seeing a, a lot of discussion, and a lot of question about, um, you know, what has uh, in the past been historically less used bands versus Q and B bands. Um, are, are, it's now a, a hot commodity and, and coming out of WRC 19, of course, we saw a, a lot of changes to the regulation um, to, to keep in, in step with uh, the, the changing landscape in terms of use and interest in that band. Uh, but we're pretty diversified across frequencies, uh, again, depending on the system, depending on the, the operation. You know, frequency allocation has been an issue as long as there's been broadcasting. Uh, back in the day when they were establishing the first terrestrial radio systems and the FCC had to coordinate all of the frequencies, they had clear channels that were opened up, they had uh, a whole lot of, of interference issues. And then I recall when... Uh, Back then, Sirius Satellite Radio was first coming online that became Sirius XM. There was a lot of, of talk about the interference between the XM frequency and adjacent frequencies and those kinds of things. Is that the kind of thing that Mansat tends to deal with? Uh, so, so yes, and, and even more broadly than that. So, um, you know, when you step back and think about international spectrum regulation, there's there's the ITU, the International Public Communication Union, that establishes the, it's a standards body as well as an enforcing arm of the UN. So it's, it's establishing um, the radio regulations, the standards at an international level. But then when you go down to the national level, each country 
it's within it's their prerogative to choose to overlay their own regulation on top of those international standards uh, according to their policy priorities. Um, and, and we deal in both, both at the international level and at the national level. And um, it, it is a complicated <laughs> issue, and there are a number of challenges. Certainly the technical challenges, frequency coordination with, with nearby systems, uh, satellite systems, and certainly on the ground, uh, but also business side negotiations. You know, operators provide global services, and the commercial con- the commercial considerations, the commercial negotiations can be uh, similarly, you know, s- same but different. Similarly com- uh, complex and challenging. And then, then another facet to it is at the international stage, um, depending on the applicable co- uh, applicable regulation when it comes to frequency coordination, uh, those agreements. Uh, carry significant weight. There are diplomatic considerations and um, uh, frequency coordination agreements can be, you know, treaty level agreements. And so um, all that to say, yes, very complicated, both technically, commercially uh, and diplomatically uh, to navigate those waters. Is technology making it easier for there to be less interference between uh, satellite frequencies and satellite communications? That's a great question. Um, so there have been technological advances that, you know, to those of us who have been in industry for a while, sort of boggle our mind. And <laughs> and and the idea of efficient use of spectrum is a it's a problem that we've been trying to solve for a long time. And there are different ways to solve it. You know, how can you share? How can you reuse it? Um, whether it's because we don't have enough um, or because it's expensive to get what you need. Um, so there are certainly technological advances, tremendous technological advances um, that help us use spectrum more efficiently um, and, and can help us address interference issues. Um, but that's not that's not the whole problem, uh, because the regulations are by design not uh, laid out in an, in anticipation of future technology. So every three to four years, the ITU has a World Radio Conference. Um, mm-hmm. Last one was in 2019. Next one's WRC 23. And, and that is the forum where the regulations can change. Um, and to, to affect change typically takes about two cycles. You need one cycle to get an item on the agenda. Typically studies follow. And then at least one more cycle to actually uh, have a, a finding found, have, have any changes come into effect. And... And we know why, you know, we don't want our regulation being too reactive and mm-hmm. changing the, the, the sand underneath our feet. Um, but that does mean that when we have those tremendous um, technological improvements, um, we, we have them, we know they're there. Um, they can certainly inform some of the, the frequency coordination discussions, but the, the allocations and, and the established regulation may not uh, yet reflect those changes. There's a little bit of a, a, a push and pull between the regs and the technical capability. So you're seeing the, the regulations essentially lag behind the technology by the time an eight-year cycle has gone by. They say, well, here are new regulations and the technology has completely changed because we know how fast that technology does change. Potentially. I mean, and I will say to the ITU's credit, um, understanding the the burden they carry and you know while there are are a number of huge global corporations that have billions of dollars riding on this and and a tremendous number of jobs and and this entire economy on their shoulders 
they also have a peacekeeping responsibility mm-hmm. to ensure no harmful interference, um, you know, leads to any undesired effects, um, again, between nations. And so I would say, certainly, um, there's always going to be a lag between when the technology advances and when the regulation can respond to it. But the ITU has done a phenomenal job of engaging with industry, really trying to um, look at what what streamlined processes it can implement to support some of the rapid innovation that we are seeing, um, but also, you know, in strict adherence with their charter, make sure that they are 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 carrying out their function effectively. And, and I, I, you know, I, I don't envy that balance. That's a really hard one to strike. And I think they've done a great job of um, trying to move in the right direction uh, without causing any uh, external effects that none of us would want, ultimately. What are some of the main differences in different countries' spectrum rules? Yeah, you know, that's a- another good one. So <clears throat> each country um, can, again, overlay its own regulations on top of the ITU regs. So uh, an example there that I can point to would be um, S-band for space operations. So it's one of the most common bands in Europe for Mm -hmm. new space ventures and and for scientific projects. Um, But in the U.S., it's primarily allocated for federal use. And, um, you know, there are a couple of ways to navigate that process. But again, uh, if you're a U.S. entity looking to access spectrum through through the U.S., you've got um, to grapple with the fact, well, this, this ban that's available to my competitors overseas is not available to me, according right. to the letter of the regs. Um, and, and again, every market um, can can has the ability to do that, has the ability to overlay regulation on top of the, the radio regs uh, in accordance with their pro- policy priorities. The other difference is when it comes to market access. Um, so the, the market access landscape can vary a lot from one country to another. And it's, it's not just about what spectrum is accessible, but also the licensing practices can be very different. Um, so, uh, you know, the UK uh, tends to be a little bit lighter touch in terms of provision of, of electronic communication. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily require notification of the local telecom regulator. On the other side, we've got France that doesn't require a permit, but does require you file a declaration. And so some of it's terminology and pro- process and paperwork difference. Um, but ultimately, uh, each country you want to serve has its own process, its own regulations, and its own priorities. And so, um, you know, when we talk to some of these new space startups, especially um, that have in mind global services, global operations, uh, we have a have to have a really frank conversation about what does that look like and, you know, what kind of undertaking that is and the, the time, the effort, the resources that go into, you know, obtaining landing rights, market access in your, your tier one, tier two, and so on countries, um, you know, and, and how do you support the business case uh, necessary to justify a new system? You're listening to the Xterra podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and my guest is Catherine Gazinski, Chief Executive Officer from Manset. Catherine, you mentioned something a few moments ago that I found interesting when you ta- started talking about the CubeSats and the, the huge constellations of satellites that are being putting up. And I'm thinking of SpaceX with Starlink and um, OneWeb will be coming online, and, and I'm sure that other countries are seeing their own development in those kinds of, of satellite constellations. 
How does that, with hundreds literally uh, or potentially of satellites operating on the same frequency, how does that affect the allocation of that spectrum? Because they're all going to be on the same frequency, essentially, but there's a lot of them. Yes, so there are established regulations when it comes to that, um, and and I won't go too deep in the weeds <laughs> of, of the applicable regulation, but, it, but absolutely, I mean, ultimately, um, if you have a system that's established, that's, that's already claimed its spectrum, uh, then it is a challenge. It's certainly a challenge to, to say you're going to go to that operator and, and provide a sound and solid technical argument that you can operate um, within the, uh, close to them within the same band without causing harmful interference. Um, there are absolutely established uh, coordination procedures for the majority of the bands being used um, for those constellations, um, but it is it's something that's huge. And uh, again, talking about the the ITU process and access to spectrum, assured access to, spe to spectrum. You know, the ITU works on a fundamentally a first come first served basis. Okay. Um, so when you go to the ITU, you you make a satellite filing. And then you have seven years to use or lose your, your spot in line functionally. Um, and, and once you claim or bring into use your spectrum, de depending on the applicable regulation and the, and the given band, um, you know, it's yours. And so anybody that comes after you um, would have to coordinate with you. And, and likewise, if you're making a new filing, you've got to look to who's ahead of you. You know, is it practical? Is it technically feasible? And is it, um, practical for me to think that I can use the spectrum that somebody else has already claimed. And that's, again, where the, the combination of both the, the technical considerations um, and, the, and the technical aspect of coordination, as well as the commercial arrangements, um, come into play. And, and I, I have to say there have been a number of situations where, from a technical perspective, you walk into a frequency coordination discussion and you think, um, I don't see a technical solution um, that everyone's going to be happy with, but there is a commercial solution. Um, and so as long as you come to the, the table with an open mind, hopefully on both sides, um, there's, there's certainly a lot of room to grow the space industry into the robust, you know, multi-billion coming up on trillion dollar industry <laughs> that we all want to see. When you look at satellites that can potentially use multiple frequencies off the same bird, does that does that present a particular challenge? Have you come up against that kind of a of a situation? Sure. Yeah, that's not um, from from our perspective. That doesn't pose a unique challenge to us inherently. Of course, um, uh, the more complex the system, the more complex the the spectrum consideration. Uh, but inherently, it's it's not a, a big hindrance. It's just a matter of okay, here are the the applicable regulations in each of these bands, and here are the parties we need to work with, and here are the coordination concerns we need to resolve. And then you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You just break it into pieces, and we mm -hmm. can address each of those. Are there advantages to being located on the Isle of Man? Yes, <laughs> in short. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we started 20 years ago, um, you know, one of the reasons we, we chose the Isle of Man as a jurisdiction that we wanted to cultivate in terms of um, access to spectrum and, and satellite filings is, well, there were three components to it. Uh, stable government, stable rule of law, and then, um, you know, I'd say pro-space business. 
And so the Isle of Man has all three of those. And, and, and likewise, Iceland are another jurisdiction we now um, support, stable government, stable rule of law, and, and pro-space. Um, those, those are key and, and fundamental. And you can see um, in some of the high-profile uh, bankruptcies and reorganizations mm-hmm. that happens um, in the industry, you know, the value of spectrum and, and the ability to to resurrect that asset from the ashes is, is a huge, huge emphasis. And so we wanted to make sure that any jurisdiction we worked in, um, you know, was as resilient and supportive of its space companies as it could be and, and, and practically minded. Um, another benefit, of course, to the Isle of Man is there's a 0% rate of corporate tax on the space industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're now up to over 50 uh, satellite operators that have a presence on the Isle of Man. So it's uh, it's used for a lot, a lot on the regulatory side, a lot on uh, the fundraising side, joint ventures and so on. Um, so it's a great place for the space industry. Has the COVID pandemic affected your business at all? You know, differently than others, I would say. Um, from our perspective, the regulatory landscape uh it keeps going. You know, mm-hmm. the regulatory deadlines aren't relaxed because of COVID. Um, you know, the, the the necessity of access to spectrum hasn't changed. Um, you know, some of our, our operators have adjusted their launch timelines um, based on, on manufacturing delays. But functionally, uh, the regulatory environment hasn't, um, I won't say hasn't changed, hasn't uh, eased up on, mm-hmm. on the demands. Uh, there's certainly been changes in terms of the IT is working from home. The regulators are working from home. Uh, and and I would say um, collectively, everyone has done a phenomenal job of uh, over the past year adapting and overcoming those challenges. Um, the, the one thing that's a little bit, I, I would say a little bit up in the air is the effect this will have on um, preparation efforts for WRC 23. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's something to be said for getting folks from around the world in one location to, sure. to work through some of these complex issues when everyone's distributed and, and attending virtually juggling time zones and a number of other factors and limiting those meetings to a few hours a day. Um, is a challenge. And I think that that could slow things down. I think we're, we have the potential to, to recover that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say that's an area I'm keeping an eye on for, um, I would say effects that last a bit longer than when we all go back to the office. What services does Mansat offer beyond spectrum allocation services? Sure. So, um, spectrum allocation or, or access to spectrum is, is one of many services. Um, that we offer. And it's typically um, part of a, I'd say, an end-to-end or, you know, one-stop shop offering that that we bring to our clients. So we help also identify the right spectrum and secure those rights and then obtain market access, again, globally, which goes Mm -hmm. far beyond, um, you know, I I shouldn't say it's a small piece, but uh, obtaining the frequencies, obtaining international regulation of frequency assignments from the ITU is huge and it's necessary mm-hmm. to obtain market access, but that market access component is that, you know, that's how we, how you make your money. That's how you justify the sure. business case. And we absolutely help with that on a global basis. Um, and then again, where no framework exists, 
we can help um, our operators work with their regulators um, to, to shape that framework. And likewise, we worked with a number of governments, a number of regulators to help shape their frameworks. And of course, always and critically that knowledge transfer. Another interesting thing we've been working with lately um, really speaks to, I'd say, the vacuum in the industry when it comes to attracting and retaining good talent, mm -hmm. especially in this area. I mean, there's there's a small pool of folks that have this sort of expertise. And so one of the things we've been working on with a number of our clients, both large and small and everywhere in between, is um, helping them onboard the right regulatory folks. Um, mm -hmm. In some cases, that means bringing somebody uh, with a little bit less experience on, but investing for one, maybe two years in that person to bring them up to speed uh, so that they are, are uh, a fully capable and, and vital part of the team. And, and as I mentioned, I mean, this is a hugely, hugely critical part of making a, a, a business case close and uh, mm -hmm. supporting a systems operation. So uh, that onboarding process uh, can't be overlooked. So all that to say, one of the, our new services is working with our clients to bring on new uh, team members, onboard them, train them up, transfer the knowledge, while simultaneously, of course, on any outstanding regulatory items that, that won't wait for someone to get trained up and then providing um, ongoing uh, oversight and support to make sure that person integrates well into the team is demonstrating their grasp of the issues and again you know a check-in to make sure all is progressing well um, which we've found has been really useful for our clients that know they need a bigger team, mm -hmm. are struggling to find um, that expertise within the industry um, from, from other satellite operators or, or from consultants, and um, don't have the time. Like I said, investing one to two years to cultivate multiple folks on the team is, uh, is no, it's, it's no small uh, <laughs> uh, bit of time. So that's been a really interesting piece for us, too. Let's talk about the Picasso mission that launched last October kind of as a case study. How did Mansat support that mission? Sure. Um, we were approached by the satellite manufacturer to assist with their regulatory issues, including um, uh, preparation of all their submissions to the ITU, identifying other satellite operators they needed to coordinate with, and assisting with frequency coordination itself. And so in this case, the notifying administration was Belgium. Mm -hmm. and we work with many different operators and many different regulators globally. Um, but we don't only support uh, private or commercial entities. We also support, support administrations, like I mentioned. So uh, another uh, two other jurisdictions we, we worked with um, around the same time are Poland and Malta. And that was to implement a um, WRC-19 decision related to upgrading uh, their BSS assignments. And so we identified the optimum orbital slots, frequencies, and prepared this filing, again, end-to-end -end management for them. And finally, uh, finished with training and knowledge transfer, um, which, like I mentioned, is a priority mm -hmm. for every uh, for every one of our clients to make sure that it's not just take this problem off my plate, also that they feel comfortable with the knowledge base we leave them with. What kind of for lack of a better term, support after the sale do you offer? Is it is it done once they're launched and up and operating? Or do you do you follow through with your clients and help them as as their mission proceeds? Yep, our relationships are longstanding. So um, the job of frequency coordination is never done. 
Um, once a system is up and operational, every subsequent filing has to be uh, addressed. You know, every subsequent filing that comes along and says, hey, I'd like to coordinate with you. Well, as the existing system, if you don't defend your spectrum, mm-hmm. um, then you're not doing your job. And so our support for them continues again for the life cycle of the system. Um, and likewise, even once the system's replaced, you know, there's a couple of different flavors you can, you can think of when it comes to geostationary, non-geostationary or, or mission oriented systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately our operators, I mean, we're, we have relationships that are decade or decades or more, uh, in length. So we see it as a long-term relationship where we really are, are, are integral support for our clients. We've got about a minute left. Uh, who else is on your team? You want to give props to some folks that, that kind of work behind the scenes? Sure, absolutely. So I have a phenomenal executive staff. Um, Dr. Jennifer Stone leads um, our, our technical operations. She is our, our primary liaison with um, the, the administration through the Isle of Man, as well as Iceland. She's been fantastic and with us for a number of years. In fact, the first recipient of our scholarship we provide uh, in the Isle of Man, and she came back around as works for us. And, and uh, that that investment in uh, corporate social responsibility in our community has, has paid off dividends. Um, so she's fantastic and, again, um, has been terrific in supporting our clients. Um, Alex Martin leads our consulting group and, um, again, has really th- – these service offerings that provide a suite of options for our clients, it's, it's his brainchild. He's done a phenomenal job really listening to the market um, and responding to the needs right now and the needs to come in the next five to 10 years. Speaking of the next five to 10 years, let's wrap up with that. How do you see the commercial space industry in the next five to 10 years and what do you hope will be Mansat's future? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Well, you know, it's really fascinating to me. Right now is a phenomenal time to be in the space industry. There's tremendous innovation there's a lot of change, uh, and I'd say there's willingness to think outside of the box. You know, things are happening now that just a decade ago were sort of unbelievable to even mm-hmm. think about it being possible. And, and so to me, the, the commercial space industry, I'd say, is, is ready to be shaped. Um, something that's really interesting to us is, is what's happening in commercial missions to the moon and to deep space. Um, and what's going to evolve there from a regulatory perspective. That's an area we've been focused on for a couple of years now, and it's a big focus of ours. And so, um, you know, from from my perspective, I see our future as absolutely investing in the next generation of of regulatory expertise, folks that understand and appreciate, um, you know, what's been done in the past, what technology is doing, where it's headed, and how to... um, support the innovation and and the economic growth that's absolutely what we're standing in front of in the next five to 10 years. And likewise, um, you know, for, for Manza, we want to be part of that, um, that evolution, part of bringing in that next generation, but also really looking towards what the, what the economy can look like when we go beyond our earth centric context and look at the moon and look at deep space. Um, so that's what we're uh, we're most excited about in the next five to ten years. But buckle up, everybody. It's going to be fun. <laughs> That's what we're all hoping for. We're out of time, Catherine. Thanks so much for being our guest on the Xterra podcast. My pleasure. Catherine Godzinski is Chief Executive Officer from Mansat. 
a company specializing in obtaining international recognition for frequency assignments at the International Telecommunications Union. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra Podcast. Find us on the web at xterrajsc.com and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.